I started to think, how can I create a name for this future business yeah. that represents what I think will be about? And I had somewhat of an idea. Technic is an ancient word, but the distilled meaning is the process by which you create something or achieve a goal. Mm. And I've always been so focused on the process. I yeah. really believe that. Perhaps has the biggest impact are mixed-use developments. Yeah. We're very passionate about these these neighborhoods, particularly in San Diego, but in other areas that developed in California. You know, North Park in San Diego is one of them, but there's many other ones too, where the neighborhood is the attraction. People want to live and work there. Yeah. So creating these mixed-use projects that have residential units at a high density, that have interesting commercial attractions on the bottom, a really great restaurant or a really, really great coffee shop or something to that effect, really make the neighborhood better. Right? You're servicing the people who live and work there and who come to that business, but it's adding to the whole neighborhood. So you're, you're maximizing the impact of that project, and we're absolutely passionate about it. Steve Jobs, legendary CEO of Apple, once had an enlightening realization about the concept of design. He said, design is not just what it looks like and feels like, design is how it works. And indeed, this is very true. Designing something not only means the visual aspects of it, but the practicality of how it's used. And I want to say good day to all of our viewers on California Talk Radio. We are so excited to be here today with a exclusive interview with someone who comes from the design world and in the field of architecture and design and development. We have someone here that owns a company called Techni which is a design and development firm that was established in 2010 to really go after the cannabis industry and maximize on projects and developments to help in the architecture of uh, building these new developments. So I want to share the story of Techni today by introducing the founder of Techni, Abe Schweitzer. Thank you very much. Pleasure welcome, to be here. Welcome to the podcast. So, Abe, if you can give us kind of your personal background and how you got into this design and development phase of business. Absolutely. So, originally from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Mm -hmm. And then when I was about 14 years old, moved to the U.S., to Michigan at that time, where I stayed through a little bit of middle school, high school. And then as I was getting into college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was always fascinated with construction, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to be an architect. So I took the advice of my advisor, which was not very good, honestly. And I got into <laughs> a school for a two-year program. Mm -hmm. And then as I'm registering, really good school, they said, hey, you actually qualify for the architecture program, which is what I really wanted to do at that time. So I went for it. Six years later, after a lot of working through college to, to pay for that, I finally graduated and in that last year, I started dating someone who's now my wife, and she had moved out to California meanwhile. Mm -hmm. And all it took was one trip to San Diego in January, and I said, this is it, right? It was sunny like today. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. It was miserable Michigan. Right after I graduated, about a week after, I packed my car and moved out, right? From that, I was able to get a job shortly after, worked for two firms, two really good firms that taught me a lot for about three years. Uh, so I got there in 2006. By the end of 2010, I was done with that phase of my experience and I started my own firm. And in the beginning, I mean, 
it was just me from my room in our small apartment, getting whatever types of jobs would come my way. But about two years later, I started to become a lot more focused on who I wanted the company to be mm -hmm. right, as sort of this, this business entity in the long run, what we stood for, what we wanted to target. And one of the types of projects that came our way starting in 2013 were cannabis projects, which were at the early stages of being legalized in yeah. California. We really became an expert in that field eventually, doing well over 100 projects. But also the focus was to work with developers, right? Because I wanted to do that uh, myself as a person, also as a, as a firm. And I thought, well, if we can work with them, I can learn from them. And it's exactly what happened. And by 2014, we were already doing our first development. But that's a little bit of a short history. Now we do our own development. We service a variety of clients, residential, commercial, light industrial. Uh, most of them developers are business owners, and that's created very sustainable and fruitful sort of relationship between us and our clients where we know each other, we know what we do well, we focus on projects that are challenging but that have big rewards. And we really have become known for a firm that can take on really challenging projects, do it well, do it predictably, keep the stress level down and really make it pleasant for, for the client when often that's not associated with development. And when you guys are approaching um, a cannabis design and development project, what is it exactly that you guys are doing for people that aren't familiar with that industry? That's a very good question. So with cannabis, almost every jurisdiction in California, even though they have different rules, but generally speaking, you need some sort of entitlement mm -hmm. before you even have the right to apply for the building permit in certain location, right? And that can often be extremely competitive. Because let's say a city may allow a maximum of 10, but there may be 150, 200 applicants. We've seen that. So to navigate that process, to understand where you fall behind, where you can go ahead, what are the pitfalls? And we start from the very beginning and analyzing potential sites, right? filtering through this lens of experience that we have to give ultimately, if, if we're involved or if it's our client, the best chance of, of winning one of those spots in the initial round. From that, the shift changes a little bit to more technical aspect if we're doing a cultivation facility or a manufacturing facility manufacturing facility these days are like high-tech labs yeah. right but also understanding the brand understanding the workflow if we're in the light industrial category and then from retail really creating a retail experience it's not enough just to show up and open the doors these days with cannabis businesses you really have to deliver an experience to the consumer so then we've become focused on that. How can we maximize their brand identity? How can we make it a destination, not just somewhere where you go to buy cannabis or cannabis byproducts? And looking at some of your projects on Instagram, if you looked at the building architecturally, you wouldn't think it's a cannabis retail store. Uh, when did you see the design aesthetic change to this more modern, elegant style of architecture? You know, we've always believed in that. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we believe in in modern architecture. I'd label as contemporary. Yep. Contemporary being you know, using the materials and techniques that we have available today, maximizing the effect of the environment in a positive way. I'm saying if it's sunny, we should maximize that. If we can have activities outdoors, we should maximize that. And also the context of the neighborhood. So we've always looked at it that way. But what happened initially in the early stages of legal cannabis, 
that wasn't as important for those projects. They yeah. just wanted to get open and as fast as possible. Right. And as we've seen some some of these brands evolve, and on some we've done multiple projects on the same site. It started with a small project, and then there was an expansion, and then it kept evolving. So we've had more opportunity then to implement this this strong belief that we have in simple but really well-figured-out solutions that are appropriate for that neighborhood, for that context, for that climate. And we're lucky to be able to show that with the cannabis projects, but with our other projects too. And what does the the concept of your name, Techni, what does that really mean and how did you come up with that? This is an interesting story because in 2006, you know, a little less than four years before I opened my office, I was already thinking about the name, hmm. right? I knew that in the future I wanted to run my own firm. I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I said, what can I do now? I can figure out the name. So what I did is using some of the background of the graphic design that I took in college by choice, because I thought it was very interesting, I started to think, how can I create a name for this future business that represents what I think will be about? And I had somewhat of an idea. And uh, technically is an ancient word, but the distilled meaning is the process by which you create something or achieve a goal. Mm. And I've always been so focused on the process. I really believe that. And I learned that through college, really. And my experience up to that point, which was only maybe six months of professional work, right, was that the better quality my process, the better the outcome would be. Yes. Right? You can plug in great people to a great process, and then it just makes it even better. But if you don't have a good process, you you can't really have predictable results or progress. It's very difficult. So that's why I chose that name. It's so representative to the core of what we do that, that I thought it was it was perfect. And you have a, a unique culture you've created at your company. Can you kind of speak, you know, you talked about plugging the right people into position, but what do you do at Techni that really sets your company apart with your employees? Thanks for asking that, because it's something that we're really proud of. So early on, maybe 2006 or seven, as I started to get some professional experience, I would look at my peers that had been in the industry for 10, 20, 30 years and as much as I love them, they were all miserable. They were working 60, 70 hours a week. They were always stressed out. They would rarely take a vacation. And I thought that the future doesn't look very bright for me if I continue down that path, right? Yeah. It's not the quality of life that I want. Yeah. Right? So early on, maybe two, three years into my business, I started working with a business coach. And with that, I was able to more specifically or more strategically look at my future focused on the quality of life. Right? Yeah. What does my life look like in the future? And yes, you can have material things and other things, but the focus is really the experience, right? Yep. And the more that I started to get focused on that, the more I wanted to translate that to my business. I started reducing my hours, right? From 60, 70 hours a week to, yep. to 30 something now. But then I thought, well, it's not enough just for me. Well, I want this for all the people that I care about, my staff being so so close to me, so dear to me. Yep. That led me to incorporate that into our, our culture, right? Where we start off with generous vacation, four weeks for everybody. We encourage them to take it, as in you can't keep accumulating. After you accumulate 50%, you have to take some. That's just a part of it. We also started sharing when we travel. Where do we go? How does it inspire us to dream build as a team? That's and fantastic. then in conjunction with that, we started building in these really fun rewards, mm-hmm. right? where if we achieved our company goals, we would have small rewards along the way, 
which not only were enjoyable, but helped with team building. And now we have a team building event every month. And that led to international trips to a bunch of other things that not only inspire me and I love, but the staff loves. It unites us to a goal. There's a real reward at the goal, right? Is it something to work at a company and help the company achieve the goal? Sure. But ultimately, people want to know what's in it for me. Yeah. And that's very fair. Yeah. So we didn't want to uh, not just exclude that. We wanted to make that an integral part. How can we make this journey really pleasant, really exciting for everybody that's involved? And apart from that, we're very disciplined at doing the work while we're in the office and being efficient, being system driven, so that when you know six o'clock comes most of our days, we're done. We're not checking emails. I'm not expecting that from anybody, right? Clients don't call because they've been well-trained uh, up to this point to know that we're very, very structured and we're very efficient and we're very productive, but we don't spread that out so it takes over our lives. So when we leave the office, we're focused on our quality of lives and our relaxation or whatever it is that somebody wants to do. I like that you guys are really appro approaching it that way. You don't see a lot of companies approach things from an employee standpoint to really understand what the employee experience is going to be. And so I think what you're doing is you're allowing your corporate environment to almost generate this place where people really want to come and work. And you're allowing them to not only enjoy their work life, but enjoy their personal life as well. Um, I think also when you're setting the targets with your clients that they know not to call you after six o'clock, Yes. I think that's important as well, because the more that you, if you respond to them 24 hours a day, they will reach out to you 24 hours a day. Absolutely. And I think it's good that you're setting that expectation with your clients to create the life that you want. And so it's almost, you're creating the life that you want by design, not yes. by default. Absolutely. Um, I also wanted to talk about what type of projects does Techni really want to go after and what's... Really, if you would say the ideal projects that are primary in your wheelhouse, what would you define that as? That's a very good question. And I would put it in, into two categories. Let's start with one that's maybe a more passionate about and the other one that from a development standpoint, I think makes more sense and we're also very passionate about. We have a history of designing really beautiful homes. Mm -hmm. And particularly in San Diego, where you have so many amazing neighborhoods with views, with a lot of character it gives you a pretty good base, a pretty good canvas to start to create something awesome. And we'd like to continue doing that. Not just very high end, which there's a lot of in California, but market rate as well. We think there's a lot of opportunity to bring uh, to the market a product that that is just above, way above what the average is. And often you just get the average because consumers may not be very experienced in knowing what they can get. And the architects just get lazy, yeah. right? They're in a rush, they don't have good systems. They don't have a structured design process, and we can bring all that and, and make and make the project work, make the project on time and on budget. The other one, which perhaps has the biggest impact, are mixed-use developments. Yeah, right? we're very passionate about these these neighborhoods, particularly in San Diego, but in other areas that developed in California. You know, North Park in San Diego is one of them, but there's many other ones too, where the neighborhood is the attraction. People want to live and work there. Yeah. So creating these mixed-use projects that have residential units at a high density, that have interesting commercial attractions on the bottom, a really great restaurant or a really, really great coffee shop or something to that effect, really make the neighborhood better, right? You're servicing the people who live and work there and who come to that business, 
but it's adding to the whole neighborhood. So you're, you're maximizing the impact of that project. And we're absolutely passionate about that. And so I imagine you've seen a lot of growth in that multi-use uh, type of properties. I know even Costco is getting into building a Costco store on the bottom and then residential units on the top. How have you seen the kind of mixture of that in your business? What percentage do you think you're doing more of those mixed use developments now versus other projects? We're seeing a trend towards that, mm -hmm. right? As the cannabis market has stabilized, so to speak, from 2014 to 2020, I would say, it was just a massive rush with many municipalities opening. Now the businesses are more mature, they're more stabilized. So we, we see that, but now our focus has shifted towards developers and development projects, these being the main ones. And more specifically, we see a lot of opportunity for repurposing buildings. We have somewhat of a glut of office buildings on the market, and there is no projection, no reasonable projection that people will ever go back to that, to the levels that they were pre-pandemic, right? Yep. They're underutilized as designed and they will continue to be that way. So we're seeing ourselves and, and a lot of our developer clients focusing to see well, how can we convert those, those buildings. We're also seeing cities relax their regulations or make them more targeted for higher density that a lot of that comes down from, from the state legislators to, yep. to local municipalities. And I think it's fantastic. So that has created not just more opportunity, right? But I think the market conditions are, are right. Post-pandemic, glut of office buildings, the rates are a little bit crazy now, but we think the timing is absolutely fantastic to do these mixed-use projects in interesting neighborhoods. What type of market are you really trying to push after now? So I know you've established what you guys do as far as which markets you get into, but your focus in 2023, what are you guys really going after uh, at Techni? We're going after developer clients and investors, right? Our goal is within three to five years to only do our own development projects. Hmm. And we have partnered with our developer clients before, we have partnered with investors, but the more that we work with those people and bring them value and make new connections, the, the broader our opportunities are to work within that market. So specifically, we're looking for developer clients or investors who say, hey, the market is strange, right? There's a lot of uncertainty, but real estate in Southern California, if you consider it as an investment, is very cushy and very stable if you do it right, if you don't overextend. So we're seeing a lot of investors that want to get into that market, but they don't know what to do. They don't even know how to play the client role, right? They just have money and they're curious. And we have had a history of dealing with people like that where we can take them step-by-step, step, connect them to other professionals in areas that we may not be experts at, lending, so forth, right? And bring that whole team together so that in their first, second, third, fourth experience, it can be predictable. They're not just diving in blind and hoping that it works out. And I think that's really key is you're looking for individuals that have the money to invest. I know right now lending requirements have gotten a lot more stringent yes. um, because of where rates are at. So money has become more expensive to borrow. So leveraging cash that maybe people have in other investments or things that they can actually leverage now to really get a big gain on the backside of this type of development deals is going to be really key. And uh, how are you seeing the kind of lending environment affect how you guys fund projects? Well, someone told me this some time ago, and it, and it seems to ring true every time there's uncertainty, right? 
somebody's still making money. Absolutely. And I realized that then when, when, when there is uncertainty, as there is now, when the money isn't free-flowing easy, right, a lot of people get off the playing field. Right, they get scared. They rather do something they know. Right? The risk is a little bit higher, so you tend to have more professionals, and there are people who perhaps have a more sophisticated understanding of that market. So I haven't seen it be a deterrent at all. I've seen the profile of the developer or potential investor change, yeah, and I think become more more elevated in a way, a little a little higher um, knowledge or skill level, right? But the number of development projects and inquiries and feasibility studies that we're doing now doesn't even compare. It's much greater than our whole 12 year history. Mm-hmm. Just so you have an idea and, and, and the listeners, we think the opportunity now is absolutely unique. Yeah. And I think that's, that's huge because you're approaching it from the perspective of knowing that right now is a great opportunity. Yes. And it's also good for the viewers to understand what is the timeline that, let's say, your typical development project, right? Let's say middle scale size-wise. From the time that you start approaching it from dirt to completed mm-hmm. and going through the entitlement process, what is the usual timeline that a project will take? That's a good question. Well, let me step back a little bit. There's often this understanding by a lot of want-to-be developers or investors that are curious that everything has to go through an entitlement process. Mm-hmm. That's actually often not the case. But knowing where to look, how to understand the zoning regulations, where to target, has obviously plays a big role. Mm-hmm. So let's say, hypothetically, a 12-unit mixed-use building, 12-unit apartment building with commercial, right? You could get a building permit in San Diego as long as they're apartments, not condos. And that's important to know, too, as you're getting into it. You could get a building permit in six months. If you want to try to get it entitled, let's say another jurisdiction that would require that, you're taking at least 12 months to do that entitlement. And that entitlement is all additional cost yeah. that, that you will have to pay versus if you do somewhere that only needs a building permit. And for a project like that, that could easily be a quarter million dollars in entitlement costs. So knowing where to put your project, how to understand the regulations, how to digest that timeline, and see where are we now in risk and cost of money and market value? Where is it going to be two, three years down the line? So the difference between a short timeline, short timeline for a project like that could be 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. A project that needs entitlements, depending on if you get appealed, depending on how complex it is, depending on if you have opposition, could easily extend to three years. So it's a different calculation. They can both be worth it, but understanding the differences between them and what risk a sophisticated developer and investor wants to take and what's the upside and then determining what project type you want to do is precisely the type of things that we help with. And what you guys are providing is really a turnkey solution. So someone can come in, an investor that doesn't necessarily have a background in this, but has a desire to do a development project and your company can help them go through all the phases of getting a project completed. Um, What do you think sets your company apart from other firms that do a similar type of service. Now it's it's unique in the sense that we are developers as well. Mm-hmm. And most often, if you go to a designer architecture firm, all they do is provide that service. Not all they do, that's very valuable, but the scope of their work stops there. Yeah. Because we do our own development, right? Our view is a lot broader. 
we look at it from a developer standpoint. When we are designing, when we get to that stage, we have a broader range of, of issues that we're considering when we make each decision. And that ultimately helps the projects be more successful, more on time, right? Then there's a portion of how we do things different in the firm. We are absolutely structured. We have systems in place that we continue to improve so that we are efficient. We have project management software and team that, that know how to use it and are, that are really robust. So we know what everybody's gonna do every day. We know our workload. We can project when we'll start a project. Often for, for the developers out there, if you call a firm today and say, when can you start my project? You'll get some sort of boilerplate answer, six weeks. Yeah, We can actually look at our workload and say, actually, we can start your project in 16 days or 18 days because we know exactly what we have planned for us. That level of efficiency that translates to everything we do and the communication with the clients makes our execution a lot better than just about any firm I have ever seen. So that combination of the expertise, a broader viewpoint, looking at the project as a developer and our ability to execute it, often in record time compared to other firms and with predictability, really sets us apart. And I think that's really unique because a lot of times, like what you said, you deal with firms that only deal with the architecture side of the business. And the issue we've seen in other projects that we've been a part of uh, from the commercial real estate side, usually the developer and the architect get in, they butt heads because the architect has a vision of how aesthetically they want it to look, but that clashes with what's going to make sense from the developer's perspective. So I think having everything under one roof at your company makes the most sense from an investor standpoint because things are approached with the project construction in mind and not only how it's going to look, but how it's going to be developed. So I think that sets you guys really apart in the industry. And um, what would you say something in the, in the course of the business that you've had, some remarkable achievements that would really set your company apart that you guys have accomplished? Well, you know, when I look at the achievements, what really comes to mind to me, and this is more inward facing than outward facing, is how much we're focused on the quality of life of every single person. And it's an ongoing achievement, right? And that's maybe what I'm most proud of. But, you know, outwardly, we, we have won awards such as the BizX Awards for best overall company in the entire US. Wow. We have been a finalist on a number of, of other awards. And we've been recognized locally, of course, for the type of work that, that we do. But I think what's most important to me you know, is the relationships that we've developed Right. The average client does two to three projects a year repeatedly with us, right? Our staff are super capable when we invest in them, not just in their work skills or knowledge, but in their personal life, in their well-being. And all that, I think, is is by far what I take away as, as, as our number one achievement. Fantastic. You know, it's very clearly evident to me that you have a lot of passion for what you do. You have a lot of passion for your business and you have a passion and care for your employees. And so I think that's very commendable and amazing that you're taking that approach because a company can only go as far as their leader is willing to go. So you as the thought leader for your organization, you're really setting the tone for what you care about and what you desire to be the culture of your company. And I think that's amazing that it really sets you apart. And so, um, as we wrap up this podcast and to all the viewers listening who want to connect with Techni, what's the best way for them to reach out to you to uh, discuss a potential project? 
So if if they're more tech inclined or they just want to see some of our work in messages, our Instagram is great. Techni under, underscore design underscore development. You'll see a lot of our work. We monitor that very carefully. Uh, so if you message us, we'll get back to you shortly. But you can also you can also reach out to our office in San Diego by phone if you're old school. I like that because you can actually speak to somebody and get a deeper connection or at our website, techni-us.com. But any, any method that's available these days, our Facebook, our Instagram, uh, by phone, go to our website. You can message us there. Fantastic. And I think in today's world, people are really looking for something that sets apart a company. And whether it's the quality of the product that they make or the quality of the experience, the client experience. And so I think it's really important that the viewers of the podcast take away that what separates you guys is not just the projects that you do, but how you accomplish them and the environment that you create for your client experience, as well as your employee experience. And I think that's really unique because some companies will nail it with their client experience, but they really fail at the employee experience. Uh, Right now, we're getting through this phase of what they call the great resignation, okay, where you have a lot of people resigning from their positions because they're looking for companies that will treat them more as a human being and more as a, a complete and total human, not just from a work standpoint. And I really feel you've created a amazing environment and the project that you guys do, it really embodies yourself as a company, but also embodies who you are as a person. So thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Guys, check out Techni on all platforms and stay tuned for more episodes featuring Abe Schweitzer coming soon. Fantastic. Thank you very much. All right.